That's peace These broken pieces Together Right, guys we're on to episode 13 fumble podcast this is Pej, your host and man my guest today is uh i want to say one of my first real friends i made here in california back in 2003 2004 when i first moved here um uh, through some youth activities we connected uh initially uh he came up here uh to northern california where i was um, and then I went down to Fresno where he was, and then we just kept doing that for uh, several years and we just, uh, became really close and we, uh, we had so much fun, so many laughs, uh, so many movies that we had in common that we loved comedies like basketball, <laughs> uh, classic. Um, anyway, fast forwarding now to today, 2021, um, he he has become a successful professor of psychology, psychotherapy, and existential uh, philosophy. He has his master's already, and he's uh, writing his doc- doctoral dissertation this year. He's got here his license. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, more importantly than that, he's a good old friend of mine that um, really helped me and welcomed me to California the right way. Professor Christopher Chafin. Long time. long time long time in in both ways it's been a long time since we we've been able to hang out and it's been well i guess that makes it 17 years since we first met man uh, i feel horrible that it's been uh it's been almost maybe 10 12 years since we've actually sat in the same room um, yeah because once yeah. I moved down to Long Beach, you know, it's now that much more uh, in terms of distance. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I didn't move anywhere. I, I moved back to Maryland, and then I came back to where I was in Sacramento area. But uh, yeah. um, that's not an excuse. We are working on getting together soon here. Um, and that's not just a uh, – that's not just word that we've been discussing offline about connecting and we're working on a trip to SoCal. So, so man, tell me how's life been in, uh, what made you move to, uh, Southern California, Long Beach and how did, where, where did your journey take you from Fresno to then eventually to Long Beach? Well, let's see. Uh, my ex-wife got a job in LA working for Sony in their game studio. Uh, and so this was back in 2012. Yeah, 2012. Uh, we moved down before she was my ex-wife. Uh, we moved down together to LA. And, uh, you know, it. the relationship ended uh, about mm-hmm. a year later, a little less than a year later. Uh, which was, I think, for the best for everyone. But uh, I just kind of got stuck down here because once I had lived in Fresno for 15 years, you don't really want to go back all that much. It's, 
it's hot and it's flat and it's dull and it's kind of dirty no offense to fresno or anyone living in fresno still uh but you know once i once i was living i mean the apartment i was in in la for that first year i could drive three minutes and be at the boardwalk on venice uh, and just be on the beach uh, and i could see the marina from the living room and then i couldn't go back to fresno after that so uh, I made my way down to Long Beach, which uh, had like a really nice kind of chill, arty vibe to it without as much of the, no offense to West Side LA, but without kind of the pretentiousness of West Side LA okay, and without the cost of West Side LA. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, eventually met my current wife and got married and just kind of settled here. Well, uh, a belated congrats to you and I'm looking very forward to meeting her. Yeah. I know, I know that she had an unfortunate injury recently. Yeah. Uh, playing tennis and uh, came down bad on her right ankle, uh, ended up tearing a few of her tendons. So, ouch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's been rough. Think, yeah, no yeah, surgery, social. That's right. You mentioned that. You mentioned that. And thank God for that. So, um, yeah, man, I, I hope she's back to 100% uh, in no time. And, and uh, uh, we will wait till she is before we come down so that we can go places. Yes. Um, <laughs> That'd be really cool. So you did your studies down there as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I had actually, I started my master's. Oh, when was that? Um, must have been about the same time we met, actually. I had started my master's for a couple of semesters because I was working at the university up there. Uh, and then when I got a better job offer outside of the university, obviously the university didn't want to pay for my tuition if I didn't work there anymore. So I set that aside and then yeah, shortly after the divorce in LA, I decided, cool, I don't have any, you know, relationship obligations, I don't have to maintain work to, to contribute to a, a relationship or anything, I can do whatever I want. So yeah, yeah. went back to school. Well, um, for the audience here, I want to mention that uh, those schooling is, I feel like with makes perfect sense for you uh considering that you're one of the smartest friends i had and you just knew just about a lot about everything i remember back in the day i, I you i i think we joked about it i think we called you a walking encyclopedia <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you know just any anything uh any topic we'd come up with to discuss and 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 leave it to chris he's like Oh, did you know this, this, and this? And I'm like, I did not, but <laughs> that, that definitely uh, enlightened me on that. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely. And then it just it makes perfect sense that you would uh, go back to school. And at this point, you were um, studying for your master's. I'm assuming. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. Well, and and when I when I got back into school at that time, uh, I went into a combined program so it was master's and then doctorate okay so finished the master's years ago 
did finish the doctorate coursework years ago, and then I've just been working on my dissertation off and on uh, mm -hmm. in all this time. And I think, you know, like I took a couple of years off of working on it, so it kind of sat by the wayside. This year really went back into it pretty hard. Uh, I think just this morning I wrote another seven or eight pages of it. Uh, so hopefully by the end of the summer I should get it published and then I can make everyone call me doctor, which is the whole point of getting a doctorate in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I'm, I'm sure there's more to it than just that for you, but yes, the, the, sure. the, the label is, is, is an honor. Um, I, I, I'm sure of that as well. Uh, now, what did you study? I, we talked about it in the, in the intro, but um, what made you want to study that, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. You know, I mean, again, I started it uh, a long time ago because I find people to be very interesting. I like, one, I mean, kind of like you pointed out, I love learning. I love learning new mm -hmm. things. And people are kind of the ultimate experience in that because everyone is so different that every person I meet, I can learn a complete new person, you know? Yeah. Uh, and not only do I get to learn about people in, in the job that I do as a therapist, I get to then take that learning and try to help them uh, and, and help make their lives a little bit better. So it's, it's, I get my desire to learn filled and I get my desire to be useful and help people filled. That's great. I mean, um, without the schooling side for me, that's really why I started this, you know, yeah. is because I wanted to learn about people. I think that's something we both shared and had in common from day one. Absolutely. Um, and that's, uh, you're one of the most interesting men. And it's not uh, Dos Equis. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to let my wife know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so that got you into psychology and 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 what specifically uh, got you to focus in on the marriage side, on the marriage therapy side? Well, now in California. Uh, a marriage and family therapist is essentially the same as a psychologist with just a couple of small differences. So, okay, you know, every, every state handles the license differently because they're state-based licenses. But um, the only thing that's really different is uh, I want, I can't call myself a psychologist. I have to call myself a psychotherapist or a marriage and I family see. therapist okay. um, to I can't, well, there, there are certain places that just won't hire me, you know, like the VA won't hire me. They prefer to hire psychologists, but that's more just a hiring practice thing. What's the um, VA? The Veterans Association, Veterans okay. Affairs, uh, okay. governmental agency. Um, and then third, and, and perhaps the most important practical one is, is relating to psychological testing. So I can't, I can, I can do psychological testing only with patients that are already my patients. I can't have a business that's just come to me, I'll test you, and I'll give you a report. Other than that, like the, the, a therapist is 
pretty much the same as a psychologist. The, I guess, other main difference is that a therapist has their license based on their master's degree and a psychologist has their license based on their doctorate. So a psychologist would generally have more education and training, but that's one of the reasons why I went into making sure I got my doctorate as well. So that that wouldn't be a difference. I got you. Okay. So, and the dissertation, once that's complete, uh, that'll be your, your ticket, correct? That'll be it. Yeah. There you go. Cool, man. Um, and uh, so going back to uh, your experience now that you have been a therapist, and I actually didn't uh, know t- the technicalities the, the, as far as therapy versus sure. therapist versus psychology. Um, how's your experience been in the, in the workforce? So once you received your master's and, and you got the uh, schooling done for your doctorate, uh how far into that did you start working so you start your practical training when you're still in your master's uh you do a couple of years of coursework and then you have a year of of training um so i did that and as soon as i finished that i started working as a therapist under supervision so i think it was about two years after I started school again that I was starting to see patients. Uh, and how was that that initial like experience, or was it everything you thought it would be? Or it was it was really interesting. I I don't know if you remember, but when we first met, I would have been a little more quiet. Uh, you know, yeah, most, most, yeah. Most of my experience with you and yours with me, I've certainly been less quiet as we became more comfortable, but I've always been, for the most part, I've had a very shy and I've had a hard time with the initial conversation of, hey, I'm Chris, how are you? What's Mm -hmm. going on? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, once I get past that, it's fine. But that was something that worried me going into this job because I had to meet new people and just start talking to them and (laughs) learning about them. Yeah. So I, I did have some anxiety going into my training, seeing my very first patient, having to sit down and talk to them, but <clears throat> it was nothing like I expected it to be. It was so so different in a lot of ways, and I think what made it more comfortable was because I was there as the expert. They were coming to me for help. It wasn't a social conversation. It was it was a helping conversation, and. I didn't have to worry about any of the social worries that people can tend to worry about. Uh, So I can still remember my first patient. I remember pretty much everything about them. I remember their name. I remember their problems. I remember what they look like. It It was, it was a really great early experience. Yeah. Uh, And then since then, you know, I love my work. I love the people I work with. Uh, I love being able to be there for these people, for anyone who comes in my door. Um, it's a great feeling. That's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, for most people listening, they wouldn't have guessed that you were a shy person. Okay. Look at you. You're on my I podcast. Know. <laughs> I know you. We can talk. <laughs> I, can, I can ignore the fact that countless other people will be watching this and and viewing me 
uh, later on down the line because I just have to focus on you in front of me. <laughs> Sorry that this is your focus. <laughs> but, uh... the, 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 hair, the hair makes it nicer. If you're still a brunette, maybe I'd be upset. But That's true. Yeah, that's what the previous guest said. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you also did your own podcast. I mean, uh, you were telling me about that. Like, uh, what you said, 2009, I believe. E, uh, yeah, 2000. Or in that uh, range, eight, 09 to, to 12. I think it was like yeah. 8, 9, 10 ish. Yeah. Actually, yeah, no, into 2012 also. That's right. Because um, I did a little bit of it when I was in LA. So maybe into 2013 for a little bit yeah um, but no it, it was it was fun you know uh, did you had, do that because uh was that um, i guess what uh the reason i brought that up is was one of your motives is to kind of overcome that shyness was that one of them no 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 uh, it's okay. a, a good way of doing it certainly but <laughs> no we had i had started a website <clears throat> back in 2008 i guess it was yeah. uh and it was just I, I love writing, uh, and I, made, I wrote poetry for some of the things that we did at your house. Uh, That's right. Talent shows. Yeah, I yes, have, I remember. I still have somewhere the video of us singing Righteous Brothers for the talent show together. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. wanted somewhere where I could just write more and put it out into the world and eventually one of the things I did I was playing this game Super Mario Galaxy on the Nintendo Wii shortly at some point after that and I started a log just of, of me playing the game I'm like all right I played this section of it here's what was interesting here's what wasn't that developed over time into me doing like reviews and opinions and editorials on on games and then it grew into a website that's actually still running. I just have someone else running it for me because I, my my ex-wife, again, not ex at the time, and I, we started doing this video stream uh, on, there were a couple of websites back then. Ustream was one, and then there was another website just before that that I can't remember the name of anymore. But you know, it would have a little chat box. It was like Twitch. People could jump on and chat with yeah. you while you're video streaming. And and we would talk about games and nerdy stuff. And we did that for a while. Uh, and then I started doing a straight up podcast with a couple of friends that I had made through the website and through kind of the gaming community. Uh, and then it was just the three of us. Um, and it was, it was Tom and Adam, and we would connect, you know, usually once a week and just sit there and talk. And yeah. I'd hit record. We'd start talking. We wouldn't edit. We wouldn't cut. We'd just go for the hour and a half that we'd talk and yeah. send it out. It was a lot of fun. That sounds fun. That sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. And, and I know you you were a gamer for as long as I remember. and. Also, you were you loved your movies. 
Yeah. Uh, this this man, um, I think, had every movie <laughs> at one point. I feel like his library of of uh, DVDs was immaculate. I mean, to say the least. It was, um, you know, this is before was- Netflix was really a thing, or or even streaming online was was movies. They were they had just started that, but um, yeah, we would go to his home in in Fresno, and he was like, pick a movie, I have it, and I and I he truly had it. I mean you name it from 70s 80s night probably even further back um he had all of the bests of of the decades and it was great and we had some fun times uh watching some classics com- comedy classics which was one of our favorites because we really connected on that yeah and then as far as um gaming uh i don't know if we played as many video games together as we should have but um not not really no you know, when when we'd be hanging out, we'd be hanging out as part of a larger group, um, and so it didn't make as much sense to, That's to true. video games. Yeah, yeah, I, and um, yeah, I think, and, and those are great too. Yeah. Don't get me wrong; it's just it was, uh, you know, I, I know that you had, a, you had uh, a big, large passion for gaming, even more than me. I, I will admit, it's just cool that you you followed that you mixed you combine that with your writing and then it led to a podcast and uh and then a website like you said that's continuing to go now um uh if anything that's admirable the the that you just you followed your passion and, and you made something out of it um that's what i always say tell my nieces now you yeah. you remember my nieces how little they were when yeah. you were you know so now and even the best yeah they're little adults and you know i i and one of them is is she's got the entertainment bug like i i did so it was um it was so i always tell her you know follow it you know just uh follow it and and do it with with respect for yourself and for the craft and for the art and well and here you are doing it setting an example for her yeah, and I'm trying to get her on here actually, but she's a little bit nervous. So you know, we're working on it. <laughs> so um, speaking of writing, which is what your d- dissertation is uh, that you're working on currently, um, and you told me an interesting story about from the end of your doctoral uh, schooling to now that you're writing this dissertation, there was a chunk of time of kind of like a waiting. Yeah, my, so this, the dissertation is essentially the new knowledge that I create and add to the psychological literature. That's the whole point of completing the doctorate is to make new knowledge. And so to do that, you, as, as a doctoral student or as a doctoral candidate, uh, I have a committee. So I have my my committee chair, I have my committee reader, and they are established professors who have completed their doctorates years and years ago, uh, and they're there to help kind of guide and shape my new piece of knowledge that's being contributed. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so I got a big chunk of it done, and my dissertation chair disappeared on me for a little while. Right. It was really hard to get in touch with him. And, you know, he had all kinds of stuff going on in his life. So it's it's understandable. Yeah. But also the argument that my mom and my wife and others make is it was also his job to stick around and and yeah. 
do his job. <laughs> but whatever, you know, it's, I think it all ended up working out fine. Uh, we reconnected a few months ago and I've had kind of a big burst of activity. Um, so I think hopefully within, yeah, within the next four to five months, I should be able to defend my completed dissertation and be done. That's amazing. That's that, that story right there. Uh, um, that's a whole episode on that, on the whole waiting and, and the, what you probably were going through uh, mentally. How long did that take roughly between him finding your, your, your chair disappearing and coming back? Uh, that was a good couple of years, maybe, maybe two years. Uh, I think I properly started working on my dissertation back in 2017. I see. Uh, I got about a year's worth of work into it. He disappeared. I couldn't really make any movement on it until I knew what I needed to do and where I needed to adjust it. Um, uh, and, you know, one of the reasons why I don't get too upset with him is I'm also not great. We were talking about this earlier. I'm not great at doing my part of reaching out and saying, hey, <laughs> I need to get this done. Um <clears throat> Because I, I didn't want to be a bother, but you know, it worked out. Uh, I've got my my ideas have changed. My understanding has changed over the last few years, just in terms of my experience. You know, yeah. And so I've had ideas in these last few months that have been, I, I think, really good, strong ideas for the progress of my dissertation. That's pretty cool. Did you, do you, would you look at the two years of waiting as kind of like a blessing in disguise? Cause you've got to eh. evolve, evolve your ideas more, maybe. Sure. I think <laughs> I'd also, I would have been happy if it had been done two and a half. Years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, I get that. Yeah. But also, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, the things that have happened are the things that have happened. All I can do is decide what to do going forward. That's no, that's, I'm just thinking in those two years, knowing myself, if I was pursuing a, a doctorate in, in psychology and I had to wait two years, I'd probably need a psychologist <laughs> to just get through that. Uh, but yeah, um, well, you know, <laughs> I had I had my wife. We we had a lot going on. Um, last year we were going to get married in Costa Rica uh, in May, and then mm-hmm. pandemic happened, and so May yeah. didn't happen. So we had all the planning leading up to that, and then we had having to deal with rearranging all of that, and then dealing with the pandemic itself, and then getting married in October in our backyard. Uh, wow. yeah. So it in that sense maybe. It's either, it was good either way. If it had been done before all of that, great. That I didn't have to work on it during all of that, also yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Um, I've been to backyard weddings, by the way. There's some of the most beautiful weddings I've been to. Yeah. And so uh, that's, I mean, Costa Rica would be awesome, but you can we'll go there after the event. Yeah. Honeymoon. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's awesome though that 
you know, you, you got to work on that part of your life while you were waiting, um, which is equally as important, I would say. Yeah. Marriage and all being, yeah. <laughs> being a whole part of this. Um, you mentioned something about existential philosophy, and I'm a complete uh, noob regarding this subject. So I re I'm really interested in, in hearing your description or exp explanation, it's a better word, of, of uh, what that means and, and everything related to it. Sure. Well, <clears throat> I, I look at it in a couple of different ways. So uh -huh. it plays into my work a lot as, as a therapist because uh, the... I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna use some words that are therapy words, and then I'll back up and explain them a little bit. Uh, my conceptualization format is existential psychotherapy, uh, and what that means is that when I meet a patient, when I start understanding a patient, I am understanding their problems within the structure and context of existential psychotherapy. Uh, there are countless different branches of psychology and psychotherapy that you could look at a person through. Uh, and so the one that really made sense for me was, was existential. <clears throat> you mentioned that we had, we had kind of met through the, the religious youth gatherings and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, which is, which was always interesting to me. Because uh, I was never really sure how how much I actually cared about the religious part and how much I just cared about like people and hanging out with people. Yeah. Uh, and so when I when I leaned into existential both philosophy and psychology, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, but it it definitely it doesn't contradict religion or spirituality you can you can still function within it and be spiritual or religious uh, but it provides a much more simple and clear explanation of life to me than faith tends to okay uh, so and what is that so <clears throat> the way i look at it from a psychotherapeutic perspective is um, essentially there are and i'll i'll give a short lesson essentially in, in what existential psychotherapy is uh, existential psychotherapy states that there are four incontrovertible realities there are four things that are the basis of existence and and we can't get away from them one is death we're all going to die everyone's going to die everything's going to die but not just literally there's endings changes transitions these are all contained within the domain of death uh, we have freedom where we are free to choose always every every choice we make every reaction we make is one that we have chosen uh, and every choice comes with a consequence or a responsibility if i choose mm -hmm. it then i'm responsible for what happens because of my choice or what didn't happen because of my choice uh, the third is isolation, where we are all inherently alone in the universe, that no matter how close we get to someone, we'll never be able to fully and completely understand them because 
we'll never be able to share their experiences perfectly. We can never see life exactly through their eyes. So me and my wife, me and my mom, me and you, me and Lee, uh, me and Nazir. There's always going to be this one little gap that exists between our understandings of each other. Okay. Uh, And then meaninglessness, that the universe, life doesn't mean anything other than the meaning that we create for ourselves in it. Okay. So a couple of those, you can kind of pick up where initially someone might think it contradicts with religion and faith and spirituality. Uh, uh uh People would say, well, meaninglessness, no, God gives us meaning. There's a point for all of us. All the challenges are tests. They're defined for us. And okay. the, The thing that comes up with existential psychotherapy is that the the thing itself doesn't really matter death freedom isolation meaninglessness those are things that don't really matter in our day-to-day lives and and what i mean by that is that the therapeutic approach would look at how are we reacting to our awareness of those things so you know when i was 13 13 almost 14 my grandmother my mom's mom died uh, back in 96 and she was my absolute favorite person in the whole world Mm. Uh, still to this day one of my absolute favorite people ever she she was the uh, the best Uh, and she was the first person in my life that I was close to that that I was aware of that died um And what that does, what that kind of experience does, is it opens you up to this awareness. I became aware of what death was. I became aware of mortality, mine and the mortality of others. My parents, you know, my friends, everyone could die. Holy crap, this was terrifying at 13. Um, And at about the same time, that same summer, my parents were going through their divorce. So endings and changes, we moved with my mom into an apartment so you know three four five different changes and and things happening all at once and then i had a really bad couple of years you know i i struggled with it yeah i remember thinking i was handling it well at the time but when i look back on it i'm like wow he was not handling that well at all uh but you know is what it is and and that's the stuff that's important how are we dealing with these things how are we coping with the awarenesses that we develop so when i work with a patient in terms of existential psychotherapy that's kind of how i try to see them how did they become aware of death freedom isolation or meaninglessness and then how did these four domains begin to practically interact with their lives How did they begin to cope with this stuff and to react to this stuff? And then we're looking at symptoms. We're looking at anxiety. We're looking at depression. We're looking at obsessive compulsiveness. We're looking at ADHD sometimes when it's, and and all of these, when they're non-biological, when they're created as a result of psychological functions. I see. Uh, So, so over, over the nurture of, of someone's life on planet on earth. 
exactly when, when that comes in yeah and and sometimes it combines with the nature component because you know someone may have been predisposed towards anxiety but it wasn't mm -hmm. until they had a major event that link, like really leaned them into their anxiety that it then became problematic yeah because anxiety on its own isn't bad it just depends on how we use it how it functions how we react to it how yeah it's and and what you mentioned regarding um the passing of your grandmother when you were 13 uh it remind and and how it was your first um i think the word you used was you became aware of of death and and that we're here on borrowed time essentially yeah. um and it reminded me of my a story my dad shared with me when I was younger and he, he brought it up again recently actually and um it was that he you know when he was a little kid um uh, he was full of joy you know always positive and he still is right like you you, you know him you've met him yeah. um but it, it it was for him he said one of the most profound moments in his young life was when he learned that we all die and when he learned that we all die he the first question he asked is that well then what's the point yes right and he asked this question to himself mostly it was more you know directed at his own uh mortality and and all of that and he said it it kind of just um at that age it kind of made him kind of like you're like oh well that's a bummer right <laughs> you know but you know because he was like it, that innocent child mind he didn't uh you know and and obviously he's um in his late 60s now and he still says that he still says like he he almost um you know because you were mentioning the different um uh mental health uh reactions that we get right to these things um some people fear it you know my wife she fears death like she's she's very um she has a lot of anxiety about health right high hypo i believe the term is hypochondriac yes um and so she fears it my dad on the other side like if he gets sick the whole covid thing right all of the, these like my my wife had a hard time with that for a while because she didn't get it thank god however she always feared getting it she would always associate herself with the worst case scenarios of the disease and and um where and i always think like you know wow you know this this range of uh views on the same topic of 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 death and it, as you mentioned reality and yeah. it was just it's just interesting to me how um our minds can either be completely at peace with it or fear it to no extent or somewhere in between um well and that's it's always really interesting the way that works because yeah <clears throat> people res will respond in so many different ways but when you talked about your dad and, and kind of where he's at now too where all right well if i get sick i get sick okay yeah, yeah. Right? there's this there's this acceptance of something and one of the one of the ways that existential philosophy ties in now is 
is specifically about kind of how your dad sees the world. And it's, it's one of my favorite things uh, in my, so this is my home office. We built it in the backyard when I was working on my dissertation a few you know, years ago. Um, Beautiful. And, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> and then I've got my proper office where I have my private practice uh, just five, 10 minutes down the road. And in my office, I have, I have the statue sitting on one of my bookshelves and it's of the Greek mythological figure Sisyphus, the man who has to roll the boulder up the mountain and then oh, yeah. it pulls back down and he has to do that over and over for eternity. Um, so I've got that statue and I've got a little poster of him as well because he's really important to kind of the basic idea that we're just talking about. And so there was this French Algerian philosopher named Albert Camus uh, back in World War II, you know, 1940s kind of thing. <clears throat> and he wrote an essay called The Myth of Sisyphus, where he takes the, the character of Sisyphus and yeah. describes his story and, and tries to explain his view of existence through the myth of Sisyphus. And he starts, <clears throat> he starts this essay with kind of an attention grabber. And his attention grabber is saying that all of philosophy all the way back through antiquity is wrong. That they're all asking the wrong questions. They're, they're looking for the wrong answers. The only question that matters is that of suicide. Is life worth living or is life not worth living? If it is worth living, then you live it. If it isn't worth living, then why keep living it? You would naturally, logically have to commit suicide. So he gives you this attention grabber just to kind mm -hmm. of say, hey, it's, it's this or that. But then as he goes through the, through the essay, you get the third option, the, the more realistic option for is life worth living? And let's say we get into the sense of, I don't know if life is worth living. I don't know what the point is. Like, like you say, your dad said when he first had that experience, he realized, oh man, everyone's going to die. So what's the point? Yeah. Camus really pushes the idea, two ideas. One, the universe doesn't care about you. The universe doesn't care about anyone or anything because the universe doesn't have the capacity to care. It doesn't have thought and feelings and, and, and picking one person over the other. It's just the universe. Why are we giving it so much power to wonder why it's hurting me or it's the universe's fault that I didn't get this thing or that thing. Yeah. So we take, we take that responsibility away from the universe but then we have to put that somewhere and we put that responsibility into ourselves. We then create the value, the meaning of our lives for ourselves, because from Camus perspective, there's no caring universe. There's no God, you know, anything like that from, from his perspective, uh, the universe and existence are just absurd coincidences. And while you are alive, you might as well make it something worth living. Yeah, and there are a lot of lessons with that because um, when you make that choice, I feel it's 
you start to really learn about, well, I can speak from my own experience because I, I obviously I've made that choice because <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, if, if it was that black and white, I, I don't know if it was, it's so black or white, black and white, like the initial intro of that book says, and it is, let's say, you know, right. and, attention and then he really expands on it. Yeah. It, like you said, attention grabber, but um, you know, it's, <clears throat> I think some of the, most valuable lessons I've learned in my 35 years uh, were during the time, during the times that I had to endure the biggest tests or trials in my life, or, or at least what I defined as tests or trials. Um, uh, And that's different for everyone, of course, but, um, and you can, you can correct course uh, on this conversation. If I, take it and if i'm taking it elsewhere but what i'm thinking of is uh someone has a let's say so with the realities right so someone is having a tough day like a teenager like my niece for example you know or or someone who who's still not uh uh, at their full mental capacity right they are still they're still coming into their own as a as an adult or a young adult um what do you think of this method of because they're different parenting skills right or or uncling skills as far as for myself but uh uh different methods different there's you know they label them in layman's term but like old school parenting or or you know new school parenting so what for me my experience like what what really motivates me is um I I have a hard day, like when I was younger, or even now. Uh, again, during those times of me enduring it, I come to the to the conclusion or a temporary conclusion that my um, hey, someone else can have has a done, gone through the exact same thing, probably, or not even probably, definitely, right? Because there are there are uh, books on my issue there. Are, there's people who've written essays or there's videos people have uploaded on the same issue. So when I see all that and I see that they've survived that, I get into this comparing thing. I say, okay, well, if they can do it, no disrespect to them, but they're human just like me, then I can do it. Right. So, but not everyone work, not everyone responds to, to that method, right. To that, type of uh uh learning or that type of um pushing forward like uh and i know that because i've tried that with some either my own students through music uh or or even like people i know family that are younger when i say hey listen you're going through this right now and you're probably thinking this this and that and that oh my god life sucks this that but then um i tell them about like but look all these people have gone through the exact same issue and they're fine they they made it they got through it they saw the other side they you know um but again not everybody responds properly to that some people are like well i'm not them right or that's that's what they say and and they're they're telling they're they're telling their version of the truth um so and this might be kind of like i said off course but i 
it just made me think about that and i wanted to see how you how you would um motivate someone like that to to push through as as a therapist well like you say everyone's different and so that's that's really hard um i think that <clears throat> when you look at that approach of hey here are all of these other people who have had the same issue what you're trying to accomplish is is something we call universality like look you're not alone you're you're not you're not uniquely broken you're not alone in the world here are all of these other people who have dealt with the same thing and are alive still and yeah. have, have gotten through it the the risk with that sometimes and and like you said someone says well but i'm not them or they're not me yeah is because we don't want always to be just like everyone else you know my problems feel big and real and unique to me and when someone tells me that here are all of these other people who have dealt with it maybe i hear that as here are all of these other people who have dealt with it so why haven't you ah. even though even though that's not the intent it's to inspire yeah. hope it's to connect to that universal experience some people will hear it that way and they'll think you know but i'm not them this is my problem right here right now so it's hard you know for some people it's a very effective approach and for some people it's not yeah i think one of the challenges you know if you're talking about younger people who who haven't really gotten into as much of an ability to and and even this isn't quite fair but as much of a critical thinking ability or yeah. or their mental kind of growth cuz i know like teenagers who have really sharp minds who are able to think yeah. clearly but biologically yeah there's still hormone development there's still neural development there's still room for that person to grow into more of themselves over time. Mm-hmm. Um but again it it's hard because ideally what you'd want to do is work with the person and try to find what works for them. You know, yeah. so as a as a therapist if I'm sitting in a room with someone and and we're going through some of this stuff then part of my goal is to try to understand more of what they're going through mm. um it's to maybe try to relate with parts of my own life and to put them out there as as ways of connecting you know to show hey here's something i've gone through that's similar do you feel like this is similar am i understanding you correctly does this feel like something we can be on the same page about um with more sensitivity with more sensitivity more, yeah, yeah 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 no that makes sense that make i mean absolutely i think that's something that i've picked up just from my experience growing up and and um but the uh it would help you know it, i'm sure it helps a lot when the <laughs> you're educated in it to the degree that you are it's, sure uh it becomes a lot quicker like you can really uh probably more easily see what that person is asking for you know so sometimes yes and no you know 
it's one of those things where like this, this example of well here are all of these other people who got better uh, being as educated in psychology and and in, in human kind of behavior and thought and emotion as i am as soon as i see that my first thought is okay well how can this help how can this hurt what are the possible outcomes mm-hmm. and so then like I have to step back and I take more time to say, okay, I have to plan a little bit more. I don't necessarily have the ease or the luxury to just jump in and say something all the time. I see. Um, so, so in that sense, I think it's more that I become aware of how much harm I can do and have to really be careful not to cause harm. Um, yeah, that's your job. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. a lot of these books at the end here are by the same author uh, who really writes about existential psychotherapy. And one of the key points, uh, in, uh, actually, I think this book I have inside, but one of the key points in one of the books where he talks about how to be a therapist uh, is he uses the words fellow traveler. Uh, and what he means by that is we connect to the patient because we are also a person. We are a fellow traveler along the path of life. So it's, it's kind of like, Hey, I see you, you're hurting. Let me walk beside you for a little bit. Let me take a little bit of your load so you can have an easier time walking. And then when you feel better, you can walk on your own and I can go and our paths will diverge kind of thing. That's cool. That's, uh, I mean, there's love involved in all of that, right? Yeah. There has to be, there has to be that passion for another person, that, that um, connection uh, of love uh, to get, to get us to think that clearly about it. Um, which brings me to the point of uh, where does love fit does love kind of sprinkle in over all four of those domains or is it uh yeah where does it kind of fit inside of that sure i guess that depends on the type of love you're talking about um i would say that it can absolutely fit in in all of them uh Mm -hmm. some people define purpose of life through love uh, you know, a, a, a strong relationship, your wife, your, your family, these are connections of love. And there are absolutely people who, not wrongly, will make that the center point of their existence. This is why I exist, in order to love and be loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at that in, so that, that addresses meaninglessness. We look at it in context of isolation. If I love and am loved, then I am closer and closer. I am less alone in the world uh, in terms of freedom maybe it guides my choices maybe it's mm-hmm. the the reason i make my choices or how i define my choices and then in in death yeah you know death is the foundation of existential anxiety mm-hmm. and my entire dissertation is on death anxiety and and really expanding it to look at how it interacts with people's day-to-day lives but <clears throat> one of the common components of death anxiety in people is the desire to beat death, to live beyond death. And one of the most common ways of doing that is having kids. 
I get to exist uh. beyond my lifespan because I've created another version of myself. And this version will remember me after I'm gone. And then their kids will remember me after I'm gone. So I've guaranteed myself an extra hundred years of existence, even after I I've died. I see. Um, so, so in that sense, you know, love is necessary. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's the, um, that's what, uh, that, uh, author was talking about, uh, when you were mentioning uh, the, the, that he gets into the third uh, option. And I think that it's, it's love that gets us to, to fight. It's on, uh, they sound opposites, but you fight for life, right? You know, know, love is a very powerful motivator for life that's right yeah yeah man i mean i can talk for hours about this topic because it's so i mean we only scratched the surface obviously but you know i um i want to i want to learn more about this and i want you to come back on to to discuss uh because this idea of love um as if you haven't guessed already that's one of my passions (laughs) and and uh it's a good passion and, and all forms of it right yeah. Uh, whether it's for a craft, whether it's for a human being, whether it's for my pets, sure. whether it's it's for traveling, whatever it's it's um, I'm. You're living my, fully. Yeah, and I think where I, um, where I learned my love for my career, which is music, and this is no lie, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, was sitting in Chris's car, and we he put on. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, and I don't even know if you know you you know that this happened. But we were driving; I can't even remember where we were driving. I think we were in Fresno. Um, it was your blue Honda. Remember that car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That was a great car. Um, we might have been going to one of the Denny's because we'd go to Denny's uh, (laughs) until like three in the morning. Those are fun. Man, when I could eat whatever I wanted without yeah. any. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that six minutes and some seconds um, of that song, it gave me so much clarity in that moment of where I wanted to take my life. Uh, as as far, yeah, uh, I don't think I even shared that with you, but. Um, Literally after that trip, that song stuck with me. And I, that was like the port, it opened a whole portal of, obviously you knew I was a musician already, but, um, but it was more for fun. It wasn't really like, I wasn't taking it like as a career. I was just, I was like 21, 22 at that point. And yeah, I I knew it was a big passion for you because you had the tattoo of the musical notes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Music wasn't in my genes through my dad and my mom. Um, my mom being a singer, my dad was a drummer and a, a keyboardist uh, in his own uh, music career. But anyway, I I was going through what I think a lot of um, youth during that age in college, right? I was in community college at the time, and I was trying to figure out what am I trying to do with my life, right? I was not, I was pursuing all these uh, careers that that are safe you know like as far as financially and all that um but after 
getting through Bohemian Rhapsody. And by the way, I had heard that song before, yeah. but there was something about that moment sitting in the car. And, and I think your love for, for that song and then our shared love for that song and then me thinking further uh, about the details and the, the makeup. And I think you even helped explain like, this is the opera section. And when you told me that, and I was like, wow, like my whole life just got flipped over. And um, in a good way, in a yeah. good way, because it gave me clarity. And I was like, this is what I need to do. So anyway, uh, uh, most people know my obsession with Freddie Mercury and, and, and how, you know, I see, I, I used to see myself as like the resurrection, like, <laughs> you know, another Persian man in, in, in the West. Right. But, um, but anyway, um, so yeah, man, that was, um, those moments are genuine and they're rare. Uh, and, and my, my, every day is to find moments like that to just have moments even close to that because that was like the top of the hill for me but um that's really cool to hear yeah man it was um so anyway love going back to that it was it, it was just i've been passionate about i'm a, I'm a passionate person to begin with but then uh i always want try to get the most out of every experience that I, that I pursue or that is presented to me. Um, good or bad, actually. So sure. <laughs> it's, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I think you, you yourself is, uh, are a pa passionate person, especially when it comes to reading as everyone <laughs> can see. <laughs> they are and, not um, <laughs> Yeah, it they probably would be in my house, but uh, but no. Um, my older niece, by the way, avid reader, from like the age of four or five. Nika, you, you know. Yeah. Um, she um, brother, he she can get through an entire book, which is probably for you. It it's no big feat, but for a lot of my family members, you know, reading is is actually a chore. Sure. So, but for her, she can get through it and she'll read like a thousand page book in, in half a day. Like yeah. she can, she can read really, I mean, it's great. And I always tell her, you know, I'm like, I think there is a lawyer written in there somewhere, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, we joke about that. Um, and I, I, I don't, you wouldn't be a Persian uncle if you didn't say <laughs> you're a lawyer or something. Yeah. And she'll retort with, uh, yeah, you're a musician, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I never push her in that sense because my, by the way, to button up what I was saying about my career in music, as you just said, uh, the stereotypical Iranian parenting, uh, actually a lot of Middle Eastern parenting is that, um, and it makes sense. And I understand where that comes from because they leave their countries, right? The countries that are probably oppressed. Um, coming to America to chase that word freedom, right? They, and and they say, okay, my kids again, that death now that ties into it because they want their the the extension of themselves to be successful, and and how do they see that happening? Because schooling, especially for Baha'is, sure. uh, uh, they they see that as oh, this is your chance. You know, you can get educated, you can get to the top of the schooling you can get to the best school so 
Anyway, not for everybody, obviously, but there are many careers that don't require schooling to yeah. be part of the equation. And of course, I got my my bachelor's in in theory. Um, however, uh, my passion has been music, and um, and even this this is kind of related to that because I wanted to be involved in entertainment, right? This this is tied to that, yeah. and um, since I don't perform music as much as I'd like to anymore just given the pandemic is the last you know kind of obstacle but uh you know living my adult life quote unquote you know it's uh it's harder to to go on tour and 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 do that i have a i have a family uh that needs me to be home and and i want to be home for them and all of that so this podcast and anyway my dad was one of the first people when i went to i was like dad i think i want to be a musician like study music and i was i was anxious about his response but to my pleasant surprise he said if you love it i will support you all the way and that was that was huge for me because i was nervous because you know he brought his kids here um and i remember those conversations in iran as a little eight, seven-year-old, six-year-old, when he was telling me that, you know, we need to leave this and that. And then, and now, and looking back and all of that, the sacrifices they made, um, the fact that he supported that is, I know that was uh, huge. And yeah, he kind of deep down in himself, he kind of, he loved music too. So, yeah. Well, and that's that's interesting because, yeah, you know, it makes sense for, for people to come over and to think, okay, let's get ourselves into a position where we can be safe and that includes financial security so yeah. you know our doctor mandes become a doctor become a lawyer become an engineer become yeah. something that yeah. not only has respect and status but comes with job security yeah but but there's an important alternate component that i think sometimes gets lost and i'm and it's something that's really highlighted uh, as being present in your relationship with your dad. It's also because you're coming from an oppressed place so that you can come here and choose to do whatever the hell you want to do. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. bigger point of it is mm-hmm. you can't do what you want in Iran. So you come here so that your son can do what he wants to do. And so I think that that was fantastic for you and your dad yeah i i think the and by the way that that tattoo you're talking about he designed it (laughs) uh uh, ultimately he said i'm gonna tie in my last name into this but (laughs) you can you can uh you can uh uh, but um you know that was after my mom calligraphy in it as well yeah it's uh just i guess if people don't know it's um it's just a uh it's cursive farsi mixed with the the staff of the treble clef and there's the treble clef and then so it's my my full name in in like calligraphy style of uh farsi right and that my father came up with that's where that that hanging letter that's the the i guess it will translate to an a in in english um but yeah so uh anyway to tie things all together these four domains i think are i mean i I um I didn't know anything about 
the the realities that that we all deal with until you broke it down and um i do want to learn so much more about it but before before and i that'll be the next time you're here because you you got to promise me to come back that's um promise to have me back (laughs) oh my god more than welcome man uh so you've been on this uh kind of like a fun reading and posting about your reads uh, recently that I've been keeping up with, um, which by the way, plug anything you want to plug as far as social media or. Um... Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I keep my social media private just because uh, I don't want my patients coming and. Oh, I got you. So, so got it's you. all private. anyway. No, no, for sure. Thank yeah. You. Makes sense. Well, anyway, you've been posting about uh, some some reading, some reads that, and then you you, you post a little uh, description and explanation on that. So tell us tell us what how you came up with that idea and and uh, how far, what are you on now currently? Sure. Well, like you said, I mean, I've been reading since I was a kid. I'm, I'm always yeah. reading something. Uh, and let's see, around Christmas last year, uh, we went to visit my mother-in-law and father-in-law because they bought a house in Palm Springs, which is just an hour and a half, two hours away. So we went up there for the holidays and mom came and visited as well. So that was really nice to do a holiday together. And for some reason, mom and I had to go to Barnes and Noble and all right, you know, drag me to a bookstore. Yeah, I'll go to a bookstore gladly. (laughs) Uh, And there were a couple of books there that I just, I really liked the covers of right up front. Like, and that, that, that'll catch me. If you have a nice cover and an interesting title, I'll buy the book and I'll read it. So, so I you judge it. a book by its cover, huh? I, I judge books by their covers, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> always work out. Uh, the last book I read was really disappointing, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, but these, let's see, I'm going to have a hard time pointing. From here uh, through here, this set of books is what uh-huh. I've read so far since the beginning of the year uh okay. it's 24 books i think uh wow. and i bought the first two because yeah it looked interesting yeah uh i powered through them and it reinvigorated because i've been reading but not quite as much as as i usually do hmm. uh, and it kind of reinvigorated me and i thought oh yeah this is great so i went and i got more books and i got more books and i got more books um and I think by the time I got through the 13th book, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a thing out of this. Because before then, I was just reading to read. Yeah. And so I decided I'd make a thing out of it. I uh, decided to post little one-sentence reviews to give myself a limit. Otherwise, I'd sit there and I'd just talk and talk and talk. Uh, and yeah, you know, some of these, there are two or three that I've read before. Uh, like Arabian Nights I've read before, uh, Camus, The Stranger I've read before, um, American Gods I've read before, but but for the most part, they're all new. And there have been some really interesting, fascinating uh, books along the way. There's one book. I'll talk talk about one book. uh, So it's called A Matter of Death and Life. Uh, and it's it ties by, into what we were talking about <laughs> yeah well and it's by the, the author of the existential psychotherapy books oh okay uh 
uh, his wife also writes uh, a lot about psychology and feminism and relationships in terms of the, the intimacy that exists between people in general. Uh, and they found out a couple of years ago, they've been married for 60 plus years. They're in their late eighties. Uh, and they found out a, a couple of years ago that she had terminal cancer. Mm. So they decided to write a book together. Uh, now his work has been about death and death anxiety and existential stuff. So they decided they would take turns going back and forth in the chapters uh, about this process of knowing that one of them was going to die and what their lives were like as they had to in real time deal with the imminent loss of the person that was the other half of them, you know? Uh, She dies about halfway through the book and the second half of the book is him for 120 days just dealing with it. Not in the best way sometimes. Like he, he struggles. Uh, I cried like three times, big, heavy, ugly crying reading that book. Because wow. um, there are things in there, there's some really, really cool things in there that I remember when they announced this book and I felt really bad that this was happening, but I was also so excited to read it at the same mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. you don't get this opportunity that often. Um, and it's, I, I would frankly recommend everyone everywhere read it if, if you get the opportunity. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know, and <clears throat> my wife just lost her father to cancer. So this might be a book I, I, um, I want to, have her read and and i would love i'd love to read it myself so uh so there's the plug so go ahead and and so that that (laughs) yeah that book it's called um life and death is that what you said it's a matter of death and life by and marilyn yalom urban yalom and marilyn yalom yeah okay yes that's a great uh i mean it's almost it feels like it that second half of that book must was must have been actually the whole book must have been more like of a like a blog but in a book because it's yeah. kind of like because well, even though they're they're educated in the field yeah. or at least the, the husband was um um he's like experiencing the those traumas he's experiencing the reality and as he's writing and and, and as she's writing yeah um, and so even one, him after decades of doing this work, still experience, he still experiences something new because this is a new experience for him. Um, I don't, I don't want to spoil any of it, but you no, know, yeah, yeah. you talked about, uh, about your wife and your father having very different experiences of death anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really interesting to see how Irvin and Marilyn in this have very different, almost almost similar to the contrast between your, your wife and your father. The, mm-hmm. One of them is very anxious and stressed uh, and, and kind of in denial, and the other one is largely in a state of acceptance. Right. Wow. But it's, okay. it's a yeah. fascinating read. I've read it twice already, and it just came out in March, just because I needed to read it again. I will definitely... Um 
be ordering that book because it's it, it definitely i mean the fact that you brought that up and my own experience this past year with my yeah. father-in-law's passing and yeah. um and and you know cancer being the the yeah. the link um and uh, yeah there's a lot there's a lot there uh and thank you for sharing that um i want to close on a more lighter note sure I might be lighter, depending on... Most things would be lighter, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is that uh, you know that ink that you saw on my arm, I've had since you've known me in 2004-2005. I have not, however, seen the ink on your arm until this this episode right here. Yeah, that's right. Let's see. <laughs> so... Let's see. I'm trying to see if I can make out what it. Okay. I don't know if it's mirroring. I can't quite tell, but in the center, uh -huh. uh, is it's it's super nerdy. Uh, so it's Gandalf's mark from Lord of the Rings. It's yeah. his rune. It's the G. Um, and then okay. surrounding that, there's a ring of fire, which is representative. There are three rings, uh, and they represent the rings that the elves have, the rings of power. Yeah. Um, the ring of fire is Gandalf's ring, and the power of it is to inspire courage and hope in the face of despair. The second ring is the ring of starlight, which is Galadriel's ring. Uh, it's a ring of preservation and protection. And the third ring is a ring of air, which is Elrond's ring, which is a ring of healing. So, you know, it, it, when I came up with the idea of it, it stamped who I wanted to be like as a person and as a therapist uh, into one cool nerdy design. <laughs> hey, that's, that's, <clears throat> it's not nerdy, man. I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, and, and it's artistic and, and you've always been artistic, uh, whether through your poetry or, or even through design. That's awesome. That's really cool. And and I think that was your moment of clarity of wanting to pursue that career. Uh, well, I, I got this actually um, after I finished my master's. Okay. So, but so this, this was like the, the stamping it onto me, like, all right, cool. We're here. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> I love it, man. That's, that's a uh, much more thought out design than mine, but <laughs> it's good. Well, the, it's, I can't take credit for the the art by any means because I am a terrible artist. Um, so am I. So am I. My, my initial <laughs> drafts, I saved them somewhere as I was scribbling them. They looked so bad. They're they're different. It was when I sat with the the tattoo artist, yeah. Um, and it was a friend of mine from grad school actually, who she had eight or nine tattoos already from this guy, and and recommended him highly. So she came with me, and we went there. And I talked through the idea with him. I showed him my initial design and we sat there. He must have spent an extra hour, hour and a half over our appointment time, which was, and he didn't charge me anything else for it, which was fantastic. But he sat and made sure that we came up with the design that years later, I'm still happy with and that I'm always going to be happy with. That's, I mean, that's key, man. Yeah. Uh, whenever you get a permanent stamp on you, it, it's important that it it's it's evergreen and it's always like going to be 
you love it just like mine right I'm, yeah. i still you know almost 20 years later i'm i'm as happy with it now as i was then yeah. um that's a cool story man that's 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 great um well chris i think we right. go we, if i can if i can just a little addendum to that story actually yeah d- go ahead go ahead i didn't tell my mom that i was gonna get a tattoo uh I didn't tell her until after it was done and my friend and I were grabbing lunch and I sent her a picture of it. So she didn't, I saw like the bubbles of a text response and then she didn't say anything. And she called me three hours later and all she said was Christopher Jun. That's so ungentlemanly. (laughs) She likes it now and, and like with the story and everything, but I just figured you'd get a kick out of her initial reaction to that. Dude, I I love your mom, man. She she was so uh, funny and 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 she was so. Um, she, that reaction of hers reminds me of my mom's because when I I didn't do it like how you did, I didn't just go for it. Sure. I actually I was still too young. I was living in the oh, house yeah. at the time, so I had to. <laughs> but I would ask. I asked my mom. I was like, "Mom, I want to get a tattoo. What do you think?" She was like, absolutely not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I said, I said, come on, mom. You know, it's, it's, I know, I know roughly what I want to do. I have an idea. It's going to be about music. That's what I love. You know, this and that. And she goes, she was like, and in her mind, she, she, she took a gamble. She said, okay, go ask your dad. In her mind, she was like a thousand percent sure that my dad is going to absolutely say no. <laughs> and, uh, she said, if he says yes, then go for it. <laughs> anyway, she was um she goes to work. I'm home. My dad comes home. She comes back home to him having the design of the ink of the tattoo, <laughs> telling her, you know, because and initially I had to kind of massage him into accepting it because but then once he saw the vision, um, like your mom, he really liked it. <laughs> and my mom, when she found out, she's like, I can't believe it. I I was totally sure you'd say no. <laughs> but um yeah, and anyway, this was the first design of his and now he's designed uh he just designed a tattoo for my sister. Nice. He just got a tattoo recently, so I'm sure she loves me telling everyone here about that. <laughs> but anyway, um I miss your mom, I miss you. I miss you. Uh, I'm I miss our times and we have to have a much lighter uh episode with you on talking about the fun times the good old times and and even creating new memories just um we've had, we've shared some awesome laughs man uh with our with our uh commonalities and connections so yeah. um so chris thank you this has been episode 13 of fumble podcasts um good luck with your dissertation and keep yeah. me posted on that and um Thank you for joining me on this episode of Fumble Podcast. Thank you for having me. As always, subscribe, like, and follow Fumble Podcast on YouTube and your podcast platform of choice. Thank you again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.
together We'll purify the mind And have a good time I'll showcase your very best